through this tree before it's too late. I have to protect it. Care for it. Why are you looking at me like that? Nez, don't you understand? You're the tree. Keep talking. That's some great looking trash. Thank you, Ty.
just the worst thing that could happen to a guy. He was a goodness. The best. I know you're there. It's not the worst thing that can happen. Judith, this madness is not Vanessa's biggest problem. Of course it is. No, it's just the one we can see. His real problem is that he can't bring himself to follow the king. Because he's trying to be a king. And that is the biggest problem you could possibly have. And it doesn't matter whether you're outside in a cage or somewhere comfortable. If you don't have a key in your life, you have nothing. What's going on, everybody? How are you? Did you have a lovely day? Did you? What was the best part of today? Milkshakes? Die Wars? Pizza? All right. You guys seem divided, but that's okay. That's totally fine. Hey, just to recap where we've been so far this week. Night one, we kicked off this week in the book of Daniel talking about how Daniel and his entire nation were kidnapped, put into exile, taken from home, forced to live different lives. From there, we looked at how God was in control and how God is good and God is perfect and God is holy. Above all those things, he's holy, holy, holy. And then last night we talked about how even though we too are going to face difficult things in this life, we could still remain faithful to God. We looked at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and we looked at specifically how they remained faithful in the face of certain death. Tonight, I want to focus on one other character who's really been a part of our week this whole time, but we haven't really got to study him at length. We haven't really gotten to take a look at who he is and, and kind of how he thinks. And ultimately, there's a big takeaway. There's a takeaway for us tonight. We're going to look at King Nebuchadnezzar, and we're going to look at how despite all of his power, all of his wealth, all of his land, all of his armies... All of the wise people he had around him, he still had something in the way of him knowing God. And if you think about it, it's kind of wild to think of it in those terms because King Nebuchadnezzar has now seen multiple miracles happen as a result of Daniel's faithful ministry in Babylon. Right? The, the fiery furnace, the interpretation of dreams, the diet. Daniel saying something simple, like, I'm not going to eat your food, man. That would go against my faith. And even after that, Daniel and his friends were stronger than all of the other people who made up his army at that time. 
So despite all of those things, King Nebuchadnezzar still had something in the way. And I think the thing that he had in the way is the same thing that has gotten in the way of us and God for all of human history. Like what King Nebuchadnezzar had coming in between him and God is the same thing that gets in between anybody and God. And that's what I want to unpack tonight, okay? So we're going to read Daniel chapter 4. Are you ready? Are you ready for it? All right, here we go. It says this, King Nebuchadnezzar, to the nations and peoples of every language who live on in all the earth, may you prosper greatly. It is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. How great are his signs and how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, content and prosperous. I had a dream that made me afraid. As I was lying in bed, the image and visions that passed through my mind terrified me. So I commanded that all of the wise men in Babylon be brought before me to interpret the dream for me. When the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, diviners came, I told them the dream, but they could not interpret it for me. Finally, Daniel came into my presence, and I told him about the dream. He is called Belshazzar, after the name of my God and the spirit of the holy gods that is in him. I said, Belshazzar, chief of the magicians, I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you, and no mystery is too difficult for you. Here is my dream. Interpret it for me. These are the visions I saw while lying in bed. I looked, and there before me stood a tree in the middle of the land. Its height was enormous. The tree grew large and strong, and its top touched the sky. It was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful, its fruit abundant, and on it were food for all. Under it, the wild animals found shelter, and the birds, that lived, in, the birds lived in its branches, and from it every creature was fed. In the visions I saw while lying in bed, I looked, and there before me was a holy one, a messenger, coming down from heaven. He called in a loud voice, cut down the tree and trim off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from under it and the birds from its branches. But let the stump and its roots bound with iron and bronze remain in the ground and in the grass of the field. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven and let him live with the animals among the plants of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of an old man and let him be given the mind of an animal till seven times pass by for him. The decision is announced by the messengers. The holy ones declare the verdict so that the most so that the living may know the most high is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets over them the lowliest people. This is the dream that I, King Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now, Belshazzar, please tell me what this means, for none of the wise men in my kingdom can interpret it for me, but you can, because the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Then Daniel was greatly perplexed for a time. His thoughts terrified him. So the king said, Belshazzar, do not let the dream or its meaning alarm you. Belshazzar answered, my Lord, remember this is Daniel talking, my Lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries. The tree you saw, which grew large and strong, with its top touching the sky, visible to the whole earth, with its beautiful leaves and abundant fruit, providing food for all, giving shelter to wild animals, and having nesting places in its branches for the birds. Your majesty, you are that tree. You have become great and strong. Your greatness has grown until it reaches the sky, and your dominion extends to the distant parts of the earth. 
your majesty saw a holy one, a messenger coming down from heaven and saying, cut down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump bound with iron and bronze and the grass of the field while its roots remain in the ground. Let him be drenched in the dew of heaven. Let him live with the wild animals until seven times pass by for him. This is the interpretation, your majesty. And this is the decree that the Most High has issued against my Lord, the King. You will be driven away from the people. You will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass by you until you acknowledge that the Most High is so sovereign over all the kingdoms and gives them to anyone he wishes. The command to leave the stump with its roots in the ground means that your kingdom will be restored when you acknowledge that heaven rules. Therefore, your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be then that your prosperity will continue. Let's pray. Lord God, tonight we uh, come to you reading just such a beautiful, beautiful piece of your history. God, there's just, there's moments throughout the story of Daniel where your, where your character and your hand is so evident. Where God, you'd shown up time and time again to Daniel, to his friends, proving yourself to be faithful even to King Nebuchadnezzar. But he had something in the way. And the thing that had gotten in between him and knowing you was his sin. And so tonight, God, help us to learn and understand what sin is. And help us, too, to consider if that's not the thing that's gotten in between us and you. We love you so much. It's in your name we pray. Amen. You guys are so awesome. That was a long chunk of scripture. But it's important to read it in its total because I want you to capture what's happening. Like I kind of started out saying, Daniel has been faithful all throughout his time in Babylon. And King Nebuchadnezzar has had a front row seat to what has happened throughout the entire time. He has yet another dream. And during this dream, he wrongfully thinks that this dream means that he is going to prosper, that his kingdom is going to continue to advance. He fails to realize that that's the struggle with power. Power always leaves you wanting more. And so King Nebuchadnezzar assumes that the, the power on display in this dream is meant to be his. But when he shares it with someone who loves him enough to be honest with him about the truth of what God is trying to speak to him through a dream... He realizes something. Daniel catches on to the fact that King Nebuchadnezzar is the tree who's going to be cut down if he doesn't put God in his rightful place. You see, King Nebuchadnezzar had sin in the way of knowing God. Now, I don't know about you guys, but in my family, we are a house divided. In my family, when it comes time for dinner, it's like there's two options. Anytime I say, do you guys want to go out to eat, one half of my family cries at me, in and out, in and out. And the other half cries at me, Chick-fil-A, Chick-fil-A. Now, these are two of America's greatest dining establishments. Like, these are two of, of just the best we have to offer, okay? Aliens come down to Earth, and they say, take us to your favorite fast food restaurant. There'd be three hours of arguing in my family before we could take the little green man out for dinner, Okay? But one day, mom was gone. And any dad knows that when mom is gone, the best thing you can do is pack the kids up and take them somewhere that has an enclosed playground. All right? That's like dadding 101. So young men out there, 
That was free of charge, okay? And so mom was gone for the day. She was at work. I was in charge of all the children. I have four of them. And uh, they're, they're pretty good. Like, I don't think most of them I wouldn't trade, all right? Like, they're mostly keepers, okay? And so it's mid-morning. Breakfast has been served. Cartoon time is coming to an end. And I always know cartoon time is coming to an end because they start fighting and throwing Legos at each other. And I'm like, all right, we've got to get out of the house. And so I have this idea. I go, you know what we're going to do? We're going to go out to eat. Now, I don't know about you and where you fall on the debate of Chick-fil-A and In-N-Out. And quite frankly, I don't care. Because as for me and my family, we go to Chick-fil-A. All right? That's like what we do. Yeah. And I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking. But In-N-Out has Bible verses on the bottom of the cups. Okay, fine. Whatever. Don't care. And truthfully, I don't care as much as I'm letting on, but I'm trying to tell you a story that captivates your attention, okay? And so we went to Chick-fil-A. And as we're getting ready to leave for Chick-fil-A, most parents know the struggle, at least parents who have little kids, they know the struggle of what it takes to get a family out the door. And it's even more difficult for a, a person working alone to get four little people dressed with shoes on in the car to go to lunch. It's amazing what we'll do to spend our money, right? Like, it's incredible the lengths we'll go to to spend our money and waste our time. And so, like I said, I have four kids. I make the announcement, we're going to Chick-fil-A. Goes over like a fart in church to half the kids. The other half are fired up because they love Chick-fil-A, right? The boys are arguing, but what about hamburgers? And I'm like, this is just what we're doing because they have a playground. So the oldest one, my oldest son, he goes on it, dad, goes and gets dressed, combs his hair, puts his shoes on, boom, he's in the car. Second one, my oldest daughter, always ready to go. Like, girl wakes up looking just fresh and ready for the day. It's, it's like kind of a miracle. Like, this girl could get two hours of sleep, and she'll walk downstairs and be like, I'm so tired. And I'm like, you look, you look amazing. Like, I don't even understand what's going on right now. Hair is always done, always looks clean, you know, never wears the same shirt twice in a day. Like, one of those people, just very neat, very clean person. In the car, boom, no problem. To my surprise, kid number four, who doesn't even know how to put shoes on the right feet at this age when this event took place, shoes on, in the car, buckles her own car seat. Holy cow, God loves Chick-fil-A. It's going to happen, right? So here's the difference between moms and dads. Difference between moms and dads, one of the many, I should say, but the primary one that I want to highlight for you tonight is that at kid number three, the youngest, and the one who tends to need the most help being ready, I go, I can get in the car. Like, kid number three, he'll come out. Kid four is in the car. Like, my youngest is in the car. This is amazing. I'm good to go. So I literally go in the car, open the garage door, start the car, and I'm just waiting. And a minute goes by. Should I be worried? No. I'm a father. I don't worry about much. Two minutes goes by. Should I be worried? Truthfully, still not worried. Three minutes goes by. Getting a little worried. And to my surprise, I look out the window into the door that leads into our laundry room from the garage, and I see the door handles start to jiggle, like in Jurassic Park when they're locked in the kitchen. Do you remember that scene? And it's moving. I'm like, what? Is there a raptor coming in Chick-fil-A? Like, what is happening? And boom, kid number three busts out the door with both shoes under his arm and two handfuls of toys, like his favorite toys. When he was little, he called them his guys. 
it was just like a mixture of matchbox cars and Lego dudes and like all these things. And I go, get your shoes on, buddy. And he goes, okay, can you hold my toys? Again, moms and dads think differently. I go, you got yourself into this problem. You're going to get yourself out of this problem. I will not be holding your toys. Put them down. And he goes, but I don't want to put them down. And I'm like, I don't really know what else to say. <laughs> I kind of made my stance. I'm not really changing my mind because I'm footing the bill for this whole escapade. Just put them on, all right? And he goes, okay, I'll put my shoes on. So holding his toys, he drops his slip-ons on the ground. And like he's squishing a bug, he just stuffs his cute little chubby toes into each shoe, manages to get them on. Boom, this is a win, right? And then he turns towards the car door and he goes, Dad, I need you to open the car door for me. Now I'm stubborn. I go, nope, got to put the toys down. He goes, Dad, I can't get in the car because I... And I go, sorry, dude, you're going to have to put the toys down. I'm trying to take you to the happiest place on earth. Like, we're going places. And if I haven't stressed this point to you enough, I'm paying for it. So just get in the car at this point, you know? And everyone's starting to get mad. They're like, come on, just get in the car, put the toys down. Well, he gets more stubborn. He definitely gets that from me, but I would say from his mom also. And so he's like fighting the door, like begging me to help him. And I'm just like, I'm, I'm dug in the ground at this point. I am not opening the door for this kid. And it's like a back and forth. Like you ever give your parents a dirty look, right? When, when you just kind of feel like maybe they don't get it and parents obviously do get it, but they're trying to teach you a lesson. And so you kind of give them this look and then they give you this look and you're like, sorry, I didn't mean to give you that look. He's given me that look over and over and over again. And I'm just watching his cute little pudgy hands full of toys try to open the door to our like Honda Pilot so we can go to Chick-fil-A. What should have taken five minutes took us 20 minutes. And eventually he pops the door open, gets up into his car seat, and then lets go of his toys so he can buckle the car seat on his own. I'm not even mad about it. At that point, I could have been upset because of the amount of time that it took, but I'm not upset because finally we get to leave. What's the whole point of the story? Well, one, Chick-fil-A is awesome. Two, give it up for Chick-fil-A, everybody. Come on, yeah. All right, enough. You guys are crazy. You guys are crazy. The point of the story is this. Just like King Nebuchadnezzar had something getting in between him and knowing God, we too have something getting in between us and knowing God. Just like I had places to take my son, I had things I wanted to give to him, his refusal to let go of what was most precious to him in that season of his life held us back. And there's times in my life where I know God wants to do what the scriptures would describe as exceedingly abundantly more than I could ever ask or imagine, but I'm holding on to things that Jesus died to save me from. I have stuff in the way of God doing in my life and in my heart things that he cosmically and divinely, Ephesians 2.10 says, things that he had planned for me from before I was even born, but because I place value on things that the scriptures would describe as sin, I am held back from experiencing what God has for me. Friend, there's two types of people in the room tonight, and I want to speak to both at the same time. The first type of person in the room tonight is someone who is already walking with Jesus. You have put your faith in Christ. This week's been a joy for you because you've got to grow in your faith. Your sin has to be taken seriously because your sin is the thing that is keeping you 
from experiencing a deeper relationship with Jesus. It's a distraction against a holy God. It's a distraction against the time that he would like to spend with you. That's group one. Group two. Group two would be those of you who do not have faith in God. Maybe you have more questions than you have answers. Maybe you've been mad at God because somebody misrepresented him in your life. Maybe this whole concept is new for you. And if you were honest with me, you would say, honestly, half the time I've been weirded out because I have no idea what you're talking about. I want you to consider, as we unpack a little bit more from the life of King Nebuchadnezzar, if that's you, if you're someone who like, would not identify as a Christian, I want you to just consider, as I read these verses to you, simple question. What if I'm right? Like, what if these verses that I read are true? And what if that hollow feeling that you have, every time you turn to something that you think is going to fill you up, that you think is going to make you feel better, that you think is going to make you feel more whole, what if I'm right that only God can do that for you and sin is in fact the thing getting in between you and God? Because if you look back at the story, King Nebuchadnezzar gets it mostly right. Right? Like he calls together his crew. He calls together his squad. And he says, hey, I had a weird dream. Someone interpret it. And all of these people who had all of this presupposed power come to him and they get it wrong. And so he goes to the guy who's been faithful time and time again because Daniel was used by God for such a time as this. And he expresses the dream to Daniel. And in doing so, he describes a giant tree that provided shade and food and shelter to the kingdom. And Nebuchadnezzar is assuming that he's the tree and that he's going to do this for his kingdom. Daniel goes, no, you're not the tree. In a sense, you are and that God's going to cut you down and he's going to make you go crazy for seven years if you don't repent. But King Nebuchadnezzar was guilty of the same thing that all of us are. And that's assuming that we're the main character of the story have you ever met someone like that have you ever had a friend that does that where literally they just act like the main character all the time and it's like dude life is not about you friend in big ways you don't have to point some of you are like that's you okay not the not that kind of camp all right you just calm down with the condemnation okay the point is king nebuchadnezzar misses it in this moment because he, think he, is, he thinks he is meant to be the main person. But he's not. He's not. And Daniel, being a good friend and a faithful employee, tells him, you're not the main character. God's the main character. And if you don't want these things to happen to you, if you don't want to be cut down, if you don't want your reign and rule to end, if you don't want your legacy to be that of someone who is selfish and narcissistic and egotistical, here's what you got to do. You have to repent and let God be the God of your life. It's true you're a king, but there's someone with more power than you. And what he desires right now is that you would submit to him. I think that's the word of the day for us. You're not the main character. God is. For those of you who are followers of Jesus, anytime we put ourselves on the throne of our own hearts, we're guilty of sin. And the root of all sin is pride, assuming that I know better, assuming that I am more wise, assuming that I'm more discerning than God himself. And so anytime I go after something 
that God has already said isn't good for me, even though I want to make my own choices because I believe in my own freedom or my own truth or whatever, it's still sin. The Bible would describe sin, I'll give you a long definition and a short one. All right, long definition. I remember my mentor taught this to me like 17 years ago. He said, here's the definition of sin. Sin is any thought, deed, word, attitude, or action that goes against God's good and holy character. Thought, deed, word, attitude, action that goes against God's character. So you might be thinking, I thought they were dumb, but I didn't say they were dumb. That would be a sin. I thought about smacking them, but I didn't smack them. Still a sin, right? Bad attitude, sin. Honor your father and mother. It's one of the scriptures, guilty of that, sin. Here's the short answer. Anytime we act unholy, because remember, if, if Isaiah's throne room vision is real and that the angelic choir singing for all of eternity in heaven for all time is this beautiful song that says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty and the whole earth is filled with his glory. He sees that in the throne room. Then we're guilty of sin anytime we're unholy. Anytime we act not like God, we are guilty of sin. And just like Nebuchadnezzar, when we sin, there are consequences. If you were to read on in chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar doesn't repent at first. He continues to live as though he's the main character of the story. And so what happens to him would be called a consequence. What happens to Nebuchadnezzar is he goes crazy. And all of his kingdom sees him go crazy. And any good leader knows it's not as much about how you start, it's how you finish. And so his entire legacy... Years of building Babylon into this epic thing. Things that even non-biblical scholars still talk about, the hanging gardens of Babylon. There's still evidence of what happened there to this day that archaeologists are digging up. All of that in a moment is vanished, at least for the people alive during his generation, because they saw someone go crazy because he refused to repent of his sin. Got the better of him. The Bible talks about sin in a few places that are important for you to be familiar with. The first that I'm going to turn to is in the book of Ephesians, okay? The book of Ephesians, chapter 2. I want you to turn there with me because we're going to start this one tonight. We're going to finish it tomorrow, all right? Book of Ephesians, chapter 2. It tells us this about sin. Ephesians 2, 1. It says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Meaning, as for you, you were dead meaning not alive anymore, as a result of the sin that you had committed. Paul will go on to write to this church called Ephesus in the book of Ephesians, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world, and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work, and those who are disobedient. He says, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest... We were by nature deserving of wrath. Friend, you have to understand this about sin. Sin has a consequence. And the consequence of sin is death, which means separation. Which means Adam and Eve in the garden sinned. They no longer had relationship with God in the way that they used to. Because sin had now come in between them and God. What Paul is writing here in Ephesians 2, and we'll finish this passage tomorrow, is very much a similar thought, at least a similar type of thought, that anyone who has not yet put their faith in Jesus is dead in their transgressions and sins. They're separated. 
Paul would say this in, in the book of Romans. He says it in two different places in Romans. Really good, important verses for you to know at this stage of your faith for those of you who are followers of Jesus. He says in, in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, he says, For all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. He says everyone has sinned. Everyone is guilty of being unholy and as a result has fallen short of the glory of God. For those of you who have put your faith in Jesus, what you did in that moment is you believed in Jesus' sacrifice to be enough to take away your sins so that you could be made, with right, made right with God again. Right? That, that's the idea there. Sin causes separation. Jesus puts that back together. He would say just a, a couple pages later in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, he says, for the wages of sin is death. Anyone in here have a job? Yeah, what's your job? Beating your dog? Dude. Oh, get, hey, get him out of here. I'm just kidding. What'd you say? Oh, yeah, that's okay. Hey, round of applause. That's a good, that's a good job right there. All right. Right here. What is it? Watering your guinea pigs? I don't think I know enough about guinea pigs. All right, and then uh, Dodger's hat, you had one, but I missed it. You volunteer with people and get paid. All right, not related, but quick thing. If you volunteer and get paid, you're not a volunteer. Uh, it's, not a, it's not a bit, it's a good thing. Like, it's a good job. Okay, yeah, Devin, right? Yeah. Uh, I work with my dad at a church. I also serve rituals on the street, and then I also help on life check. Okay, shout out to those guys up there doing that right now. I love it. Yeah. All right. I'd love to take the time to hear all your jobs, but I just can't. Here's the point. Here's why I asked. You go to work. How much do you get paid, Devin? $25 every time I work. $25 every time you work. About how many hours? Uh, Don't worry. I'm not going to tell the labor board. So like five hours a day, ten hours a day? Six hours a day, okay? So, so I'm not the best at math, but like something like four, four bucks an hour, something like that, right? So you go to work, and if I'm wrong, it doesn't matter. Uh, I'm not good at math. But you go to work, you make like four bucks an hour. At the end of your time working, whenever it's time to get paid, you go to your dad, and he does what? Uh, he gets charged into my bank account. Perfect. You get paid, right? Yeah. You water guinea pigs, you get... All right, that's a volunteer job. Uh, you, you feed the dogs, you get paid, right? Yeah, that's the whole point. What this passage in Romans 6 is telling us, I'm almost done. What, what, what the passage in Romans is telling us is that the payment that we get for sinning is death, which means separation from God. And that's not to be taken lightly. Because if sin were able to be fixed and cured on its own, then Jesus wouldn't have had to come and die for it. If our separation could have been remedied, if our separation could have been healed, if there was any other way for us to be made right with God, Jesus would not have had to have been sacrificed. And so it's deeply important for us to understand that our sin has brought death upon us. A few years ago, for my birthday, my wife bought me a turtle. His name was Gil. I loved him a lot. One day, one day I was actually up here working, and my wife called, and she said, hey, uh, turtle's not doing well. 
And I was like, well, how do you know? Like, how do you know a turtle's not doing well? And she's like, he's laying like on the substrate under his heat lamp, but all his arms and legs and his head is out of his shell and he's not moving. And I was like, that's not good. Like, call a doctor. I don't know. Like, what do you do for a turtle that doesn't feel good? And so I got home a day later and I went into my office. And what I realized is that Gil had passed away. Gil was dead. Here's the point. Here's what I want you to know. It would have done me no good to give Gil water. It would have done me no good to put some lettuce or like the green parts of a strawberry, which were his favorite food in his cage. Would have done no good. Why? Because he was dead. It would have done me no good to take Gil outside and to respray paint him green because by the time I found him, he was brown. It would have done no good. Why? Because he was dead. He had died. When the Bible talks about sin bringing death upon us, you have to understand that that's not an issue that you can fix on your own. It's something only God can do. And the way that we get to experience the work of God as a result of our sin is through the same invitation that Daniel offered to King Nebuchadnezzar in this moment tonight. To repent. To trust God. To turn from it. And so, friends, I want you to understand this as you walk out of this chapel tonight. Talk to those two groups that I mentioned at the forefront of our time together. For those of you who don't know God, for those of you who have not put your faith in Jesus, I first want to say how courageous to come to a Christian camp if that's where you're at. And it's okay to be honest with, with that being how you feel. Even though it may seem like you're outnumbered, it's okay for you to be honest with your counselor or a friend that you came with to say, I actually don't believe in this. But I have a challenge for you. The challenge I have for you is I want you to just ask some questions. What if this is true? What if sin is the reason that you feel the way you do? It's okay to be honest about that. It's okay to talk to your pastor about that, to your counselor about that. To the second group, to those of you who are followers of Jesus, I want you to understand this, that Jesus' work on the cross has paid for your sin. The goal of tonight was not to make you question where you stand with God. But you living in sin could very well be the reason that you're struggling with remaining faithful to God in the way that Daniel was. You remaining in sin and you not repenting of sin could very well be the thing that's gotten in between you and having a deeper relationship with God. And so as we walk out of here tonight, maybe you just need to take a moment and be honest with yourself. Listen, the, the point of tonight's talk was not to say that like one day you're never going to sin again. Like sin is something we're always going to struggle with. It's what we do with that sin that makes all the difference. The Bible teaches us to repent of it, which means to turn and to confess it. And so maybe for those of you who have been walking with God, maybe tonight you need to confess your sin to a counselor. You need to say, hey, man, I haven't been living right. Can you pray for me so that I can remain faithful like Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego were? Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for how you teach us through it. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be men and women and followers of you who, who take serious the place of sin in our lives, who have a good understanding that that sin could be getting in between us and knowing you more, and we desperately and deeply want to. God, we love you. We thank you for providing a way for us to not have to experience that death. 
Help us to be honest with ourselves. Help us to be honest with others. And help us most of all to be honest with you, God. Thank you for loving us forever, no matter what. It's in your name we pray. Amen.